The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. Someone tell me at 602-292, what's the rest of it? 2982. Someone please tell me why Jesus is so epic. So you're trying to tell me that before the whole Adam and Eve thing, he was. Are you trying to tell me that This triune family of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and then the triune of archangels, Michael the Archangel, Gabriel the Archangel, and the Archangel Lucifer, and then a third of the angels were assigned to Gabriel, another third was assigned to Michael, and another third was assigned to Lucifer. Do you understand that that was the eternal family? forever that way and supposed to be forever that way and something happened that was very epic in fact there was someone that stepped forward that says I am epic and what did he want to do epic is God in in the truest definition we covered all those definitions from Hebrew and Greek and English and Latin and whatever many weeks ago. But that's what he wanted to do is he wanted to become epic, the superhero. All right. Now just hang on to that thought. What is the number one thing in our society today? The number one thing in our society today that affects music Muse. Someone know what the Hebrew is for the word muse? It means spirit guide. Muse ak. Music is the guiding spirit guide. So music is used to channel spirits. Okay, so the biggest thing with music and visual media and written media storybooks, and the list goes on and on. What is the number one thing that plagues our society? It is Satan's goal still to take that epic role from the living God. He still believes he's going to get it done. Now, can, can you just imagine for a moment, you're sitting here, or listener, you're listening, driving down the freeway, or sitting in your fellowship, or wherever you are, and you know 
Satan's going to lose. Is there anyone here that would raise their hand and say, I've never heard that before? I think he still might win. No. It's just instinctive after you become born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just instinctive that you know, without even knowing how to read the Bible, that Satan loses. He's defeated. But he doesn't. That is very odd to me. He's brilliant because it actually says in Ezekiel, he's perfect in knowledge. He's perfect in wisdom. He's perfect in every way. And then it goes on to compare him to the finest jewels and stones that God ever created. But yet he doesn't know that? That he's a loser? That it is already finished? Satan doesn't understand blood. So they do understand the importance of blood. But see, Satan does not understand the blood of Jesus and what it accomplished. We need to talk about that. It's very, very important. Most people associate the epicness of Jesus being that he, he died. There was so much more given to us, not just that he died for our sins. Most don't include the fact that he became sin on our behalf. And he went to the lower parts and he paid the price. He didn't just shed his blood. He didn't just die. He descended to the lower parts. He paid the check. By his own groaning and suffering for your sins. And then everyone's sin. Forever. Our human minds cannot even begin to embrace the reality of what he did. Down there. Or wherever that place is. We can't. It is not to be spoken of. You don't read it in Revelation. You don't read it in Ezekiel. You don't read it in Daniel. It is not to be spoken of, of what he had to do for three days down there. I could guess because of knowing prophecies, the payment, but I don't know. But I can guarantee you he paid it in full. And there was something that happened between that payment process and him walking out of that tomb that completely threw Satan into a rage. And he's still on that rage and warpath today. So you have to understand all of the key elements of the blood of Jesus that include everything from being the firstborn from the dead, which is actually saying this. He was the only one and the firstborn that came forth from Hades. Do you understand that? That everyone who is in Hades right now, because hell has not occurred, because the angel that holds the keys in his hand that opens the bottomless pit, that is truly classified as the definition of hell. 
So right now it's this Hades. It's this lower part that Jesus had to descend to. And all the people that are there right now, they're in holding and waiting. It's like they're sitting in a waiting room, waiting for this moment when this angel descends from the city of Zion with the keys in his hand to open up the bottomless pit. I'm just giving you a snapshot here from the word of God. When he takes those keys and opens the bottomless pit, smoke comes up from that pit. And out of that smoke, gazillions of locusts come out of that smoke. And go read the book of Revelation to see what those pretty little things look like. They're not so pretty. And then there's the scorpions that come from this pit. And they're described a little scary as well. So you see, this, this, when this pit gets opened up, these people that are being held in Hades right now, they see nothing yet. So whatever is going on in Hades right now, they ain't seen nothing yet to what's coming. Because they refuse to be a part of the firstborn from the dead. They can never experience that. They can never have a rebirth from that dead. Hades. So Jesus was the firstborn from coming out of Hades. And he's the only one. No one will ever be able to do it again. He was the first to do it, and no one will do it again. Because once you get to Hades, you're locked in. There's no second repentance. There's no second chance when you're there. It's over. It's finished. You're locked up for eternity. So we do certainly welcome our online listeners. How's that for an epic warm-up? I love the book of Revelation. I love how God is very orderly. He's very timely. And as I have studied the book of Revelation very carefully, everything has its absolute perfect timing. And everything is released at the exact second that it's supposed to be released. So when the scripture says that God is a God of order, he's not joking. And that's why in my life I am becoming more and more and more a person of order. And when I watch children who let their parents clean up their mess of life, spiritually, psychologically, and physically, they have no clue where they're leading their children. Because as God becomes more and more revealing that he is a God of order and everything has its perfect timeline, these youngsters are going to freak out to that kind of order. And that's why most people, according to church surveys, leave churches and go shopping. Is they, they sense too much structure. The preacher's getting to this or to that or the, and they, and they feel suffocated by order. Now, a perfectionist takes it to the extreme and can't breathe if they don't have order. And the lazy ones, as Proverbs talks about, 
They can only breathe when things are messy. But see, the God of the universe and Jesus Christ himself and the Holy Spirit are a perfect blend of the two. So, Satan is a perfectionist. He is so concise. He is so orderly. He is so demanding of that order that he even has on his timeline a perfect time where he's going to release his anger to anyone who is lazy. It's going to kill him. It's going to torture him. But he wants them lazy right now. Because the easiest people in the entire world, now listen very carefully, the easiest people in the entire world to control are lazy people. It's hard to control an orderly person, is it not? Because they have their ways of doing things. So the more the pendulum goes that way, the easier they are to manipulate and control. So, Satan actually wants a lazy church. Because he's going to call them into submission. High order. High structure. And if they don't bow and worship him, there will be hell to pay. This is a very simple plan. Jesus indicates that his blood relates to 11 primary points. And I'm holding, there's actually 12, I'm holding one for a special message. But we're going to talk about the 11 primary points of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, those of you who are listening online, if you look back on that podcast list, you'll see a little symbol. A red box with a white cross in it. If you click on that, it will actually open this scripture for you, Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. Now, as you're listening to the first few slides, take a couple moments and just read that very carefully. It's a very important scripture for what we are talking about. I want to quickly run through several of the slides that we covered in last week's message, epic number 9. We talked about redemption being the first primary point of importance in regard to the blood of Jesus Christ. So redemption, as we've been talking about, is getting out your, your, your checkbook, whatever the payment is, to free every human in the entire world that is going to be born from the moment of this paycheck is covered. But see, there's this small little condition. The universalists, those of you who are listening, you think that that paycheck covered everyone without any conditions. Salvation has more conditions to it than absolutely anything else. And there's one particular strong condition that is so annoying and so bothersome, and that is no man can come on to the Father. No man can come to the city of Zion. No man can come to the new Jerusalem. No man can come to this new earth that's being built. Except for how? Through Jesus Christ. Small condition? Are you kidding me? 
That condition is so stringent, it's so pointed, it's so precise, it is literally separated the entire universe, past, present is that cross, and future. That one condition is so incredibly strong and immovable that 90% of everyone who ever was, is, and shall be born will say, not going to do it. You see, love does not cover a multitude of sins unless it's through Christ Jesus. Listen carefully, universalist. Your extreme grace is sending people to hell is what it's doing. You are cushioning the blow of this condition. You need to be thinking very carefully about, should I just keep preaching this grace or this universal love without saying, oh, by the way, you can't have any of this unless you come through Christ. Now, I am been doing what I've been doing for a long time. And I'm here to tell you that the majority of the Christians listening who have a universalist base or a gracialistic base is going to forget what I said before they sleep tonight. And that is absolutely Amazing and puzzling to me at the same time is that God actually chooses to harden people's hearts. It's another condition. Do you remember when God released all the captives, the Hebrew captives, through Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, open the gates, let them out? And they head on across, you know, the desert, and they get backed up to the Red Sea. And what does God do? What did God say? For I hardened the, the heart of Pharaoh. You see, God makes the choice of hardening. God makes the choice of softening. So all you rebels running around who are thinking that you have the power of choice, the power of free will, boy, are you deceived. God decides if you're going to get it tonight. God decides if you're going to be transformed tomorrow. God decides. You don't. Has nothing to do with your strong will and wanting to read more of the scriptures and wanting to do all the right things after you heard a powerful message from God? No, God will decide that. It is the great mystery that Paul talks about. Even though redemption paid that check to Satan for freedom, for everyone, for the whole world, there's still conditions on who gets to participate in that inheritance. I have received in the mail a check. And I won't tell you the amount of the check, 
but I am one of the wealthiest men in the entire world. Can you imagine that? Getting a check in the mail and it's it's got an amount on it and you just became one of the richest people in the entire world, if not the richest. Can you think of the feelings you would have? Be like, oh, motorcycle, one for each day, boat. <laughs> That's what happened to us. We get the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Everything his father gave him is given to us. Open the envelope, indwell believer. You're rich. You're rich beyond your own imagination. The second point of the blood was propitiation, which is Jesus shedding his blood. Sacrificially, it was a gift. He wasn't forced to do this. God had to be satisfied. And the only way God could be satisfied is through the contract of death. Then the next one was cleansing. What was the definite Hebrew definition of woman or mother? Strong water that casts out fear. Woman is strong water. So you put that with mothering and you have someone who has a special ability to get rid of fears out of children that typically fathers don't have. This is what Jesus came to do for us. And the Holy Spirit is kind of the same adjectives that describe a woman in the Old Testament are the same adjectives that are used to describe the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. That is not an accident. So it's the Holy Spirit in you that's removing your fears. Because your husband, Jesus Christ, said so. Do it. So those who continue to suffer with fears are rebelling against their husband. He came to cleanse. Number four and five was forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ gives to us before we have a chance to give Back. That's what forgiveness is. For dash giving. It is giving and you didn't even ask for it. Now that's what that paycheck covered in Hades. Forgiveness is available for the murderers. Forgiveness is available for the child beaters. You think of your most disgusted people in the world. And it's there waiting for them. But there's a slight condition. He's not going to chase you down like a overprotective mother. He's going to say something like this. I make not these words up. Come unto me. If you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You come unto me. I'm not chasing you. That doesn't fly in the church today, folks. 
The church wants their pastor chasing them, wants their counselor chasing them, wants their friend chasing them, wants their discipler to chase them. And as those of you who've been through a lot of discipleship with me, I won't do it. You see, we need to present, here's where the source to come drink. Come. But if you need to run a while, it's okay. When you're thirsty, you'll come drink from his well. That's Jesus' style of discipleship. It's a condition. That's why there's so many lost people today. He won't chase you. Believe me, if he decided to chase you, it's over. He's going to force salvation on you. Because he does not lose. You see what I'm saying? There wouldn't be this 90% going to hell. Or Hades. And 10% that doubt. It's come. Come. See, there's conditions put upon Jesus himself. He can't chase you down. He can't chase a sinner down. He can't do it. He's got conditions on that love. So they, he literally lays it out in such a way that his father wants it to be managed. Just be available. Have the giving ready before they even ask. Just be available. Come unto me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We shove forgiveness down people's throats. It's kind of like looking at a child saying, Now tell your brother that you were wrong. Now, now, now ask him if he will forgive you. Do you know how ridiculous that is in my mind? You're forcing your child to do this? That's just craziness to me. This is a supernatural, highly pricey word called forgiveness. And humans, boys, little girls, adults, they can't do it. But we have stuck it into our verbiage, into our parenting, into our counseling in such a way that people do it because they're told. Now, don't get me wrong. I do send a lot of people to go seek the forgiveness from others after I explain the power of the cross. Huge difference there. And it reveals another condition. So the blood of Jesus Christ gives us access to God. You know that scripture, there's many of them, that talks about some kind of river? What is that river? The river of living water. There's another river talked about in Revelation. This just, this just blows my mind. There are four angels right now. As you sleep tonight, these four angels are still going to be positioned, immovable, and they're guarding a river. What is that river? Euphrates. 
Do you understand that's the river that was running through the Garden of Eden? And after Adam and Eve were, Adam and Eve were chased out of the garden, God put angels in place. And then the book of Revelation talks about, eh, right around the 8th chapter, that they're released from their position. And when they're released from their position of guarding this river, since Adam and Eve made this decision, they're removable. They're just there. And then after they're released, does anyone remember from the book of Revelation what they're going to do? They're going to kill many people. Then there's a description of this river that they're going to be creating from this great war. It's 121 miles long. And that liquid is touching the bridles of the horses. And what is it? It's blood. Oh, that's just accidental. The fact that those four angels are there right now, to I mean, physically there right now, staying in position until they're released to destroy mankind. Yeah, access to God to get to that living water, it all goes through the blood. And Jesus' blood is, he paid that price that ultimately the unsaved people are going to have to pay with their own blood, and that's what is up to the bridles of the horses, their own blood. If you won't take my gift of offered through this blood, then I'm going to require it of your blood, your river. And the very angels I use to guard that precious river Euphrates are the very angels I'm going to use to spill your blood. Blood is very important to God. If you don't take advantage of the living blood of Jesus then what's going to happen is that this access to God is going to be a little G. You will serve Satan. 602-292-2982. You will serve Satan. I promise you before the living God. If you do not have the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ, and if you are not indwelt by him personally, his blood is the mark of Revelation 7, 7, 7. The mark of man is 6, 6, 6. His blood marks us. It is the Passover. Remember that story? They would put the blood over the doorways so that the spirit of death that was coming by would not what? Their, their firstborn would not be put to death. And now we have the blood of Jesus Christ and this spirit of death is going to, second death, is going to pass right by us. 
This is good stuff, Maynard. Number six through eight is reconciliation. That is, as we talked about before, it is a an accounting term. But reconciliation is, if someone could just tell us very quickly that there's only one ministry mentioned, and I know my charismatic listeners are going to get upset at me, well, that's 602 292-2982. Charismatics don't go for this too well. There's only one ministry in the New Testament. Any good theologian will tell you that is the absolute truth. There's no mu- music ministry. There's no deliverance ministry. There's no counseling ministry. There's none of these ministries. There's only one ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. You see, it isn't about us getting you reconciled with your mommy. That's fruitless. It's about getting you reconciled to the living God. Then you go to your mommy and say, I was wrong for the way I treated you. And you can even add on there, will you please forgive me? Because, see, they might have the redeeming life of Jesus Christ and actually have the power inside them to say, I forgive you. When I hear Christ say in someone, I forgive you, Steve, I am released. But if it's just their mind, their words, it has no weight. They are not God. And they didn't pay the price to forgive me. Justification, just just as if I did not sin. It's wiping your slate clean. So in Romans 5, 9, it says, Having been just if justified by his blood. That's why your whole walk until you physically die has nothing to do with sin. Now, years ago, I used to use this illustration. I would have a whiteboard up here, and I would just go through a sharing time and start writing all you guys' sins down on the board. Okay? Oh, I killed someone. Okay, murder. I, you know. And we just filled that board up with sins. Then I used an Old Testament principle where God said, Behold, I wipe away your transgressions, sins, and guilt. So then I wipe all those sins off that board. Behold, I do something new. I make roadways in the desert or rivers in the desert and 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 brand new roads. It's a new life. So now the the whiteboard is white again. It, there's nothing on it. So if you're feeling guilty because you're listening to the little G, you're going to start confessing that sin again. And so you start confessing that sin, and God's looking at the board and saying, 
what are you talking about? Because it actually, the verse actually finishes with this. For I remember not your sins. So you see, either God's a liar or he's telling the truth here. He doesn't remember your sins. So what us humanoids do in the church? Constantly bringing up people's sins. And making a liar of God. And making the shed blood of Jesus Christ justification not justified. It isn't about your sins or your children's sins or your friend's sins or anyone else's sins. That is not the solution to address their sins. It's to address their identity. And sin becomes identity. Satan knows it. Sanctification, the death of Jesus and the blood shed therein, serves to uh, set apart indwelt Christian people to function as God intended them to function in holiness. And the way that happens is we become partakers of the holiness of our husband. See, I became royalty. I became very, very, very rich when I married Christ. I became royalty. We're called a royal priesthood. That's just one of the many statements of what we're called. Holy, blameless, royal priesthood, holy nation. There's a very long list of what we are. We are stacked with riches. But yet we get up every morning, we feel guilty about something, and the first thing we do is try to find something in someone else that they're guilty about, because misery truly does love company. That's what we do. We go write their sins back up there on, on God's board. And I'm wondering who that's really mocking. 9 and 10 is the conquest of evil. He literally conquered evil. So Satan was once the conqueror. When Jesus came, shed his blood, died, came back alive, Satan became defeated. So the blood of Jesus Christ is that whole process. It's not just obviously the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. If you want to look at a, a verse, that's Hebrews 2.14. And then, number 10 is the basis of the new covenant. The blood of physical, animal blood was old covenant. Right? It's what got Cain in trouble. And it's what got the last person in the Old Testament in trouble. Can you imagine being the last person of the Old Testament? There really is a last person that breathed the Old Covenant. And there really was a very first Christian who was indwelt. How cool is that? There's really going to be a very last indwelt Christian. How cool is that? The very last one that Becomes indwelt. 
That's beauty. That's order to me. The new covenant. Covenant is payment by blood. That's what covenant is. Whether you're a blood brother brother, or signing your signature in your blood, which they used to do, the ink was your blood. It was a blood covenant. And so the old covenant was by blood, and the new covenant is by blood. There are no more covenants. It's over. It's finished. Hebrews 13.20 says, God brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, which is Jesus Christ, of course, through the blood of the eternal covenant. The old covenant and the new covenant are one. Now, the old did have to pass away for the new to take action. So Paul's main ministry of reconciliation was getting people to reconcile themselves with that. Old covenant passed away so the new can come forth. Old wineskins, new wineskins. So the covenant obviously is eternal. It's not humanoids. Finally, number 11 is the Lord's Supper, which is my favorite. Drink from this cup. He's actually saying drink from my blood. Now, if you put everything we have talked about the past three months about Jesus, and that's what's in that cup, when you're drinking from his cup, you're drinking from his entire identity. Everything he is, everything he has said, everything he has done, and everything he shall be for eternity, as it says in Revelation 4 and 5. Everything is inside you. It's done. It's finished. Drink from this cup, and you'll have eternal life. Drink not from this cup, and you're going to drink someone else's blood. You'll pay for your own sins. And that's the basics of evangelism. Our identity matter statement is very simple. Jesus' blood, first look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We need to literally become Jesus' righteousness. The 11 points of the blood is that package deal that is given to us so that we can become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We don't have access to the righteousness. We are his righteousness. It's an identity statement that is being made to us. It says here, If any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, what's the rest of it? Six o two two nine two two nine eight two. I want to shock the foundation of your fake Christianity. If you do not have 
the spirit of the living God living inside you. You don't have him. And these 11 points mean absolutely nothing but a bunch of study points. So we're going to talk about number 12 starting next week. Rest. You see, what really launched everything is after the six days were done and then God rested. You see, the 666, all of the stuff that God did to wrap up the 666 so that people could have the 7, the perfect 7, is rest. It is solical rest. That's the evidence that you have processed, embraced, drank from the cup that contains the full reasons for the blood of Jesus Christ. Rest. You see, in the end, those of you eschatology people, this is no news to you, but maybe the piece of news that could be a little new to you is without question in my mind, that the 1,000 year reign, which is when judgment will occur, is going to be on the perfect 7,000 year mark. Not our calendar, God's calendar. We don't know when that hour is, nor does Jesus. I'm not even going to try to figure it out. But it's the seven. We are going to be filled with rest. We're not going to have to have fear and torment that we're going to go through judgment and be condemned? No. It's going to be pure rest. But those who do not have the perfect seven, they'll be hell to pay. This resource has been Without presented question. by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.